Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Asban, here with my friend Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachet Moed Katan, DAP Yud Aleph, page 11. So we're going to finish up our first parak and start the second parak. I'm going to read the last Mishnah of our first parak. Osin ma'akelagag ulamir peset ma'aseh hedjo, avalo uman. So you're allowed to construct a railing for a roof or a balcony, basically if it's done in the level of a, you know, hedjot, of a layman, but not on the level of a craftsman. Shafina tasidakin umagilin otan bamagila. You're allowed to plaster the cracks in an oven and roll them over with a roller, um, which, you know, was a tool that they would use to basically smooth out clay with a hand or a foot, a biyadu beregel, excuse me, a balobamach latin. Um, but not with a, so you could do it with a hand or a foot, but not with a presser, because the presser is sort of a specific tool for doing, for doing that action. Um, and I guess on the level of a professional. So the hinge of a door, a cylinder of a hinge, the cross beam that holds a, door, a lock and a key that broke, one can fix them on cholamoid, basically, because these are like essential issues. You need to have your door, you know, functioning properly. You can fix them. As long as he hadn't intended uh, to do it. So I guess here we do see the concept of intention, which I talked about yesterday, to do the malacha on cholamoid. Now that's not around the actual action itself. It's more about like had the door broken or the key broken before Chag, before the first day of, of Pesach or Sukkot, one isn't allowed to say, oh, I'm going to wait until Cholomoy to fix it. That's what the idea is here. And all preserved food, which one can eat on the festival, you can preserve. So in other words, you can make, you know, preserved food that you can quickly, that you could also eat on Cholomoy itself. So we see, you know, a couple of concepts here from this Mishnah, right? One is the idea of, uh, uh, you know, Hedjot versus Uman, right? Like the layperson versus a craftsperson. Um, and then we also see a little bit of the idea of intention, but not around the intention when you do the specific act, the intention of timing um, is well how I would say it better, right? You can't intend to wait until Chalmoid to do something that is permitted. The idea has to be is that it sort of broke and in the immediate vicinity of Chalmoid, you take care of it. So the Gemara basically starts with that question. Hechi dummy masa hedjo, right? What, what, how do we consider it the work of a lay person? Rav Yosef Amar behotza vidafna. Right. So he says it's you basically make the railing out of palm branches and bay trees. It's not a permanent structure. In other words, you just put something up temporary. Right. He was taught in a brisa that he fills the space with stone, but doesn't plaster it with clay. So in other words, you sort of do the minimum of what you need to do. It's not done professionally. Right. And then it was also taught right in the Mishnah that you can plaster the cracks in an oven and roll it over with a roller. So you say that a roller, it's permitted. So then why do you have to qualify by also saying with a hand or a foot? Obviously, if you can use a tool, you should be allowed to use your hand or foot. This is what the Mishnah means to say. So what it's trying to say is, is that you can plaster cracks and roll over them as if with a roller, meaning with a hand or a foot, but not with a presser. So in other words, really what the idea here is you can't, it's describing the action you would use with a, with a hand or a foot, but you can't use the actual uh, tools that are made special for it. 
And then it goes on to say, Right? So all these things that have to do with a door, a lock, a key, a beam, you're allowed to fix. So now they're going to bring a contradiction from another Mishnah. This Mishnah appears in Master Shani, again, one of the Masechtot that we have no Gemara on, on Babli because it's in Zraim. And it's from the fifth chapter, uh, Mishnah 15. So it says, until the days, and here they're talking about Yochanan, the Kohen Gadel, hammers would beat in Yerushalayim on Cholomoe, right? So it says, what we learn from this is, is that until his day, you were allowed to have these hammers. In other words, you could do a lot of different types of work, but afterwards you couldn't. So this contradicts this Mishnah because what this Mishnah seems to be saying, the one in Master Shani is, there was very little work that one was allowed to do. Like anything with tools, you basically couldn't do because Rabbi Yoch, the, not Rabbi Yochanan Kohen Gadol basically said you couldn't do those things. So this Mishnah is written afterwards. So how could it say that you could fix these things? Lo kasha. It's not a kasha. Kan did not pache. Kan did not the This word is hard. Sorry. The din gare. Right there where it says it's not allowed, it was referring, it was talking about the work of the smiths, right? Of blacksmiths, which makes a lot of noise. Again, things I don't know of, but I will trust them on this. Here, where it says it's permitted, this list of things related to the door in our Mishnah, right? It's the work of carpenters, which was much quieter. And then Rafisa comes, Mati, love Rafisa. Wait, just, say, just process that for a minute. The carpenter's work is quieter than the blacksmith's work. Right. Which, which makes sense. It does. You're right. Carpentry is, but again, we have power tools. Power, tools. power tools. Yes, exactly. Like sawing is not in particular a loud noise, but power tools. Especially are. not when you think of like, you know, the smelting or whatever that's going right. on in the blacksmith's Exactly. Matkif la Ravchista. So Ravchista objects to this. Yomru kala rabba asir kala zutra shari. So Ravchista, and he's made a good point. Loud noise is not allowed, but soft noise is allowed. In other words, what Ravchis is basically saying is like, noise is noise, you know? Ella, I'm a Ravchis, so they're saying no. Rather, this is what Ravchis is saying, right? Lo kasha, ha magale, ha right? So Ravchis is saying, right, this is why it's not a contradiction, right? The Mishnah that's allowing us to do our Mishnah, which allows us to do t- different types of malacha, is referring to sickles. Sickles don't make any noise at all. Now, again, I don't know how sickles are used to fix the doors and things like that, right? Whereas the Mishnah that's talking about not allowing things is referring to chatzine, which are chisels, which make noise. Rapapa is a much easier answer, which is the Mishnah Master Sani is, uh, you know, sorry, our Mishnah is referring to the period before this decree of Yochanan, the Kohen Gadol, whereas the Mishnah Master Sani is referring to the period after the decree where certain malacha wasn't allowed. Ravashi Amar. So Ravashi says, Hav Rabbi Yehuda, Hav Rabbi Yossi. Ravashi says, no, no, no. The Mishnah, which says you can't do certain malacha, is following the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And our Mishnah is follow Rabbi Yossi. To Amar Rabbi Yitzchak or Abdimi, Mantana Shinui B'moeb B'davar Ha'avad, to Lo to Rabbi Yossi. Right? And so Rabbi Yitzchak said the Tana who taught, right? Who's the Tana who teaches that, that you know, all malacha is allowed to be done on Cholomoid without a change? Even, you know, with regard to, uh, um, uh, you know, to Dabar Ha'aved, right? That we, this is a concept that's very important in Moe Katan, right? Which is the idea that something will be lost. In other words, you'll lose something if you don't do the Malacha on Chalamoid. 
Zaloka Rabbi Yossi, right? Uh, this is, is it not according to Rabbi Yossi? In other words, Rabbi Yossi allows, allows us to do a malacha that will basically prevent davar havad, havad, right? It will prevent a financial loss, even if it's done in its usual manner, right? Amar Rabina, keman medalina ha'adina kivata didasha b'chuya demo'ada. And then Ravina finally says, right, so whose opinion do we now lift the lintel above the door, right, in order to basically put the nails that loosened on Chalamoid in a usual manner? So this has to be according to Raviosi, who, again, allows us to do right. So um, I, I just thought this whole thing about this thing with Rabbi with I keep calling Rabbi Yochanan, Yochanan the Kohen Gadol, excuse me, was very interesting, right, that I think there was this idea at the time of the Beit HaMikdash, that essentially there was a Kohen Gadol who noticed that mm, there was something, it wasn't so much about the work being done, but it was the sort of atmosphere that it created, right? The idea that it just, it was too noisy in, in Yerushalayim over Cholomoy. It just didn't give its lens itself to sort of what Cholomoy should be like. And therefore a Takana was made that certain things were not allowed to be done. And this is a very different issue, right? This isn't about like doing malacha because davar ha'aved, right? You would lose money or, you know, being allowed to do uh, malacha, but doing it in a different way. This to me is more about atmosphere, right? It's about, again, the Yochanan wanting to create a particular type of way that Yerushalayim should literally, you know, be experienced during Chalamoid. And therefore he didn't allow certain types of malacha to be done because, you know, it's basically, it was noise pollution and it just didn't, you know, it didn't lend to the experience of what Holomoid should actually be like. I think it's also interesting how it kind of inadvertently introduces a subjectivity aspect, right? Meaning one person's noise is another person's music, let's say, and vice versa. What bothers one person as too loud is not noticeable by the next person, right? So I feel like, oh, listen, he gets to decide, but it's the kind of thing where it's that, that question that jumps out for me is, you know, Loud noise is a problem, but soft noise is not a problem. Like e- either either noise at all, professional noise, let's say, is a problem or it's not. And in the end, it's not exactly that simple, right? Meaning there is an there is a decision that this is going to be too loud. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that's, you know, you can understand why that takana took place, you know. Um, and I think it's something I'm gonna pay attention to, you know, like. And now on Cholamoid, if I have how much construction is going on, right? How much construction is going on? <laughs> Do they make any effort to make it less construction? All right, that's so a good with question. That, we finish uh, a Parak Aleph, um, and now we'll move on to Parak Bet. Parak Bet. So Parak Bet is you know fundamentally continuing these details of Cholamoid. Um, I would say I, I guess we'll see if there's a way that we kind of can summarize. Perak Bet as a streamlined type of subject as compared to Perak Aleph. Perak Aleph seems to have a lot of establishing these principles and decrees, let's say, going through case by case. Um, Mishnah, here we go. Misha Fach Etzetav, somebody who has already overturned his olives. Now, this is, you know, the olive press, olive oil. This was a big part of the ancient world. It's not that far removed from all the people who want olive oil nowadays, including me, right? When you're pressing olives, what you do, right, you take, you first you harvest the olives, and then you, over the process of preparing them for pressing, you turn them over so that you can 
you're softening them and you want to get as much oil out before you actually go to the pressing um, because, I don't know, that's the process of to get the most, to maximize the oil, I guess, is really the point. So the Mishnah here is talking about somebody who has already turned over the olives, meaning he has begun the process of preparing the olives for, for the pressing. And then in this time, they row Evel O'Ones. So during this time, he, you know, um, is, is it happens upon him, mourning, it befalls him, right? Meaning he, he loses a relative who's close to him, meaning, and now because he's in Avelos, he's in whatever stage of mourning, he cannot continue the process of the work. Um, which is, I think, an interesting way of establishing, you know, what might get in the way of somebody continuing the work that they're supposed to be doing or that they were already planned to doing. Um, so, or onus, or some other unavoidable kind of accident occurs. Oh, she too poalim, or his workers misled him. This I find to be a very interesting grouping of potential blocks to the fact that you're continuing, you want to continue the work. So, um, bottom line, any of these things, meaning either mourning, avail of somebody dies, or some kind of terrible accident, or he's, you know, led astray, mistake, misled by his workers, all of them are going to get in the way of pressing the olives in advance of Chag. That's the point here, that none of this is really yet about Cholamoid, it's about the holiday itself. So, because he wasn't then, because he wasn't able to finish the work before the holiday, then during Cholamoid, he can load up the beam. The beam is part of the olive press. That's a, the kore is part of the olive press, and it has weights. And that's going to be the, the I've seen this done, right, where you, it's a heavy, heavy system of literally pressing the olives. So then that's going to be the first press. We all want the first press, right? Everybody talks about that as, as ideal. And then you can leave it that way. You can do that on Cholamoid. You can load up the press, the beam with the press, with the weights for the initial pressing, and leave it that way until after the holiday itself, meaning, so the preparation, some measure of preparation was done before the holiday. It wasn't finished. So therefore, the next stage can be done on Cholamoid and left there until after the holiday. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Zolef Gomer, Vigaf Kedarko. So Rabbi Yossi says, Nah, you can press the olives, you can finish the process, you can plug each barrel of the oil, you know, you can put the, the cork in, that's not a cork, but you know, whatever, you can put the, the plug in each barrel in the usual way, meaning Rabbi, uh, who was it? Rabbi Huda is being more machmir and saying, you can, you can kind of continue in a slow manner that will protect something by the end of Chag. And Rabbi Yossi says, no, you can continue in the normal way of what you would have done had you been doing it before the holiday altogether. Why? And this is Devara Aved. This is exactly the concern, Yardana, that you've just uh, elaborated on, that there's going to be some kind of significant financial loss, right, if you don't engage in the complete normal process of extracting the oil in the regular way. So the Gemara asks here, it says, Patach ba'evel The Gemara says, this Mishnah opens with the case of mourning, right? Meaning mourning was there as an example of something would, that would get in the way. And it ends with talking about the halachas of Cholamoy. And the question here, right, seems to be that like, what does mourning have to do with Cholamoy? And I would say 
It's really not. Meaning we can we can engage with the Gemara here and say what's happening in the Mishnah is what would get in the way of something before the Chag that would leave work to be done on Cholamoy that usually wouldn't otherwise be done on Cholamoy. So, Amarav Shesha, Bereid Rav Idi, Zotomeret Bidvarima Mutarim Bemoed, Asurim Bime Evlo. So the Gemara takes it further. And Rav Shesha, the son of Rav Idi, says that things that are in fact permitted during Cholamoid are prohibited during the days of Evel, meaning the days of mourning. Now, the days of mourning here, we know there's a whole different, there's several different stages of the days of mourning, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean whatever. It's not, it, we're, let's say it's not talking about the 12, the, the year of Avelut for a parent, for example. It's talking about Shiva. Um, I think that that should be pretty clear. Um, the point being that if more, because right, if mourning befell a person, the way it's, it says in, very elegantly, if mourning befell a person, but what that means then is that the thing that is getting in the way of continuing the act it, at the very, it has to be the, if, if nothing else, the need to bury, but it doesn't phrase it that way. It just says the mourning, meaning the process, I, that's why I think it's Shiva, the process of continue, of of sitting in Avelut means you cannot continue this work. And then during Cholamoid, however, you could have that exception and then continue it then according to Rabbi Yehuda. Um, okay, I want to jump to the example that shows up in the case of narrative for much further down the daf. Um, where we have the case of Marion braids Rabin Ubar Umar braids Rav Acha braids Rava Havluhu Hauga Gimla Detura Bahade Hadade. So Marion and Mar, the son of Rav Acha, the son of Rava, the two of them had a team of oxen. They were partners. They owned them one ox apiece, and they put them together to be a team. And then what happened? So something happened. An event happened to Mar, the son of Rav Acha, the son of Rava, meaning what happened is exactly this, the death in the family. So he takes his ox, he takes his ox and he separates him off from the team. Am Rav Ashi, So Rav Ashi says, Somebody who's so important, so distinguished, like Mar Baravacha, is acting in this way. Meaning, how could he kind of like separate off, and then and then what he's doing is getting in the way of the team, the oxen team doing the work. So the Gemara answers, Fine, he could he could be maybe not worried about his own loss of income, but how could he? not be concerned that there would be a loss to the others, meaning specifically Marion Baravin. Because we have elsewhere, this Gemara that says, and this was elsewhere on the daf, it's just not, you know, when it's presented as straight halacha, not as part of this narrative, we know, right, that there's a statement that if the animals are hired out or they're leased or they're in partnership, then they should be able to continue the work. Why wouldn't that happen here? So the answer here is specifically, Mar, the son of Ravacha says, an important person is different. What does that mean? That when somebody is in fact in this status of where people look up to them, whatever, then they're going to be more rigorous. They're going to be more stringent with themselves. 
to understand that you don't take halacha, you know, lightly. Don't blow it off. So even if there would be room for somebody else to leave their ox as part of the team to make sure that there'd be no financial loss, he, you know, removes his team to make make it clear that he's taking the Ave loot seriously, which is an interesting, like, like puzzle, a tangle of, you know, if he's demonstrating that he's taking the Ave loot seriously, but is he taking the need to prevent the loss of the financial benefit from the team working from Marion? It, it's a little bit complicated. Like it's not a, and then the Gemara goes on. So it's not a simple uh, resolution that I might've thought it was going to be. On the other hand, what it does do is talk about exactly this, that there's a case where there's a death in the family and now all work stops because that's the Mishnah. And I think it's also important to point out this is where we're starting to see that link between Cholomoid and mourning, um, which seems to be totally counterintuitive because Cholomoid sort of has this additional state of happiness, which we explored in Parak Aleph, right? And the idea that you couldn't get married on Cholomoid because of, you know, we don't mix two simchas together. But actually, the halachot of mourning and uh, Cholomoid seem to be sort of. Um, Linked isn't the right word, and you'll find the right word. There are periods of time that have sort of similar restrictions, um, but it's it's <laughs> the transition in this Mishnah that brings it up is very interesting, and I think that will explain better why the third parak will talk about a lot of the halachot of mourning. Um, but it's interesting to sort of see how halacha links them, where you have a period of happiness and a period of extreme sadness, but yet the halacha sort of falls out the same way. I feel like the interruption to daily chores, let's say, right? The daily grind can happen from both the very positive and the very negative. And that's exactly what this is. Right. I think that's exactly the way to think of it. So these are event, right? These are different time periods, right? Extreme happiness or extreme sadness. And the question is, how does it affect sort of the daily grind, grind our daily day-to-day living that we have. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.